I know we've had a little gap in there, but we're going to pick up today in our study of the book of Acts. It's just amazing how the Lord lays some things out because there's some challenge in there that really deals with the start of something new, a start of a new year. So if you're kind of looking for one of those New Year resolutions spiritually, man, today's message kind of falls right in there. And please hear me, I didn't plan it that way. Man, I lay out my preaching calendar six to eight months in advance, and so uh, it's amazing how the Lord just works this out. So, so let me start by kind of reminding you of my most painful part of the Christmas holiday, and that is the shopping side of it. Anybody really enjoys, want to go back and do some shopping all over again? You know, here's the deal. Most of us at some point have been a part of some type of promotional sale. If you watch TV at all, and I don't get in a ton of TV time, but I, I noticed just the other day that there is a phone company that if you switch your service to theirs, you get four free phones and a new tablet. And so, I mean, th th that was one of the things. Now, here's the deal, though. Here was the part I learned. If you're going to do that, not only do you get the free stuff, but there are some purchase requirements, meaning you have to purchase a certain plan in order to get all the free stuff. I just experienced that myself. I, I went and looked this. Y'all, look, this is a new shirt. Isn't that nice? Look at that. Yeah. Everybody's going, yeah, it's about time. I, I get it. But here is the deal. It was buy two, get one free. I don't know if this was a purchase one or a free one. I'm not really sure how that worked out. But, but here's what I know. To get the free one, I had to buy two. And, and y'all, I messed up. I'm from Mississippi. Uh, you know, I, I, grew, I grew up in Memphis and Mississippi area. I obviously cannot count. I got up there to the register, and I only had five. Now, you remember what the sale was, right? Buy two, get one free. I have five, and the lady kept looking at me, and she was waiting for me to put the next thing up there, and I'm looking at her, waiting, you know, going, I'm ready to get out of this store. Will you please check me out? She goes, you know you, you, you're, you're not taking a free one. I'm like, ma'am. She said, it is buy two, get one free. I mean, boy, she was kind of snappy, kind of like my mama. You know, I mean, she was acting like my mama. And so here was the deal. What, what I had overlooked was there's a purchase requirement. For me to get the free one, I had to follow the requirements. That, that's the thought I want you to kind of tie together this morning. To get the free thing, there is a requirement that also comes along with that package. That's exactly what we're going to see as we continue in Acts 15. If you'll remember, you've got to jump back a, a few weeks into early December. Paul and Barnabas are standing before the church in Jerusalem. And remember, if there is a First Baptist church, please hear me, I'm not saying the early Christians were Baptists, but if there were a First Baptist church, it's the church in Jerusalem. That is the one that started it all. Paul and Barnabas have gone, and they have shared the gospel with all these Gentiles. These people are getting saved left and right. And all of a sudden, the people in Jerusalem said, hey, those dudes need to come tell us what's going on. And so they come down, and they're standing before the First Baptist Church of Jerusalem. And they're having to answer to James and Peter and John, names that you know very well, names that they knew very well. And all of a sudden, there was a group that said, hey, these Gentiles because they're not part of the first covenant, they need to convert to Judaism before they convert to Christianity. And Paul and Barnabas said, no, uh-uh. We're watching what God is doing. We've seen God do signs and wonders. We've seen the Holy Spirit come. And there is no requirement of them converting to Judaism before they convert to Christianity. And, man, it caused a ruckus. I mean, people started saying, well, what about circumcision? And what about this? And Paul and Barnabas came to the conclusion that you and I land on as Southern Baptist people that, that salvation's all about grace and grace alone. So, so salvation, please hear me, salvation is free, meaning this, you can't do a requirement in order to receive it. Now, is it really free? And the answer is no, because it costs Jesus everything, it costs God the Father everything. But yet, it's free to us, meaning I can't earn it, there's not a requirement I can pay, but yet at the end of this discussion where we're going today, 
you're going to understand where the church landed because th- this is where the church overall landed. They, they had James stand up and James spoke and he said, hey, here's the deal. I, I get it. Salvation is free, but there are some behaviors that should define you if you are saved. And so here's the part I want you to tie in together today, this central thought that, yes, salvation indeed is free, but there are some behavioral requirements that come from that. Not not like earning salvation requirements, but behaviors that should flow. So if I'm truly a Christ follower, there are some things that should define me, and we're going to share why they picked the certain things that they listed in the text this morning. There was a reason why the leaders of that early church said, okay, so... Yes, salvation is free. You don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to convert to Judaism first. But here's some behaviors we need to see from you. Well, we'll understand. They were right in requiring these things because Jesus also requires some things like that from us as well. So so that's where we're going to go this morning. We're going to celebrate that salvation's free, but we're also going to remind ourselves going into 2020, but there's some requirements that go along with that. So, So if you've purchased the free thing, salvation, which Jesus actually bought for you, then there's some things I should be able to see in 2020 from my life that reflect this has been bought for me. So let's pray together and let's study starting in verse 12 in just a moment. Father, we love you and we thank you again for giving us a chance to to come back together again on Sunday. Lord, the the day Paul said we're going to set aside the day that the Lord was resurrected, the first day of the week, and this is when we're going to do our corporate worship. And Lord, even in this text today, we're going to talk about keeping certain biblical traditions. Father, that's what we're doing right now. We're we're keeping a biblical tradition, and I thank you for it, that this biblical tradition is all about worship. But Father, as we come to worship you, there is nothing more worshipful than to us to try to emulate you. Well, the only way we can try to be like you is to understand more about you, and that's why we need to study your word. So Father, we ask you as we open up your word to study, as we always do, we ask you for the gift of wisdom that you would... Give it to us abundantly. So as we look at this text, Father, what we do not see is just historical fact, but what we do see is a reflection of your very character and a reflection of this salvation that has been freely given to us. But Father, also, Lord, a reflection of the requirements that should follow a life that has truly been transformed and saved. So Father, give us wisdom to see and to understand. Give us a greater wisdom then even, Father, to apply. For that is what will make us like Christ Jesus in whose name we pray, and all of God's people said, Amen. Okay, so start studying with me this morning. Out of chapter 15, we're going to be looking in verse 12 to start with. The whole assembly became silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul describe all the signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. Okay, so they're standing before the leaders of the church, but notice what it said. The whole assembly. Assembly is ecclesia. That is the term that we see in the New Testament that is used just for the congregation. It's typically in reference to a local church. So we're talking about local church, First Baptist Jerusalem. And again, those listening by radio will be offended because it really wasn't a Baptist church. But, but what we're saying is this is the first Christian church. This is the one that began it all. And so you've got that whole group that has assembled. And what they're listening to, notice what it said, the signs and wonders. This is exactly the terminology used of what happened with Jesus. The Bible said that Jesus performed many signs and wonders. Now, if you'll remember, what was the purpose for the miracles? It wasn't to be a sideshow. It wasn't to be attraction. It wasn't to be a sales pitch. What it did was to validate the teaching that was to come. And so, remember, Paul and Barnabas are teaching to people who've never heard the gospel. So what did God do? He used the same strategy he used with his son to the Jews. I'm going to allow these men to have the power to perform these signs and wonders because that's going to validate 
the message that is being taught. And somebody asked me not too long ago, Pastor, why, why do you think now, like people like you and other pastors, why do you think there's not as many signs and wonders now as they, as they were during the time of the early church? And believe it or not, that's actually a very easy answer. You do understand this is what we call a time of transition. We were transitioning from the old covenant of the law underneath the new covenant of grace. And so to transition to show that this is the valid covenant, the new covenant in the blood of Jesus, there were these signs and wonders. But let me ask you this. How long has this new covenant been enforced now? A little over two grand, right? A little over 2,000 years. So since we're not in a period of transition, I'm slow but not that slow. I turn quicker than the Titanic. And so, so here, being that we're 2,000 years into the process now, there is not a need now to validate the message. Why? Because this message is still being taught in 2020 in churches in Forsyth, Missouri, which aren't close to Jerusalem. And so we don't have to have signs. God has given His Word to validate itself. Now, in the beginning was the Word. Not in the beginning was the miracle. In the beginning was the Word. And so now we just don't see as many miracles. It's not that they don't exist. If God wants to break out in great revival tomorrow, guess what's going to happen? Great revival. If God decides He wants to heal every person that's been stricken with cancer, guess what's going to happen? He's going to heal every person. But it's going to be on his time and his demand, not any other man's time or demand. And so I want you to understand, he was doing some unique things because this was a transition period. Verse 13, after they stopped speaking, James responded, brothers and sisters, listen to me. All right, so here's the thing. Remember, the whole church has gathered, and notice that it's Peter who doesn't get up, and notice that it's John who doesn't get up, or any of the other original apostles. It is James. Now, James is also considered an apostle. Here's what I want you to understand. This reflects for us that James, and we have extra-biblical documents, that means documents outside of Scripture, that tell us James had become the official pastor of the church at Jerusalem. So you've got apostles and other elders there, but there was a spokesperson. There, there was a person who was kind of the, the final or ultimate authority there. James is that guy. So he's the guy. He's kind of the senior pastor. He's the guy that's stepping up. And he's about to, to make some statements. Simeon, that's another name for Peter, has reported how God first intervened to take from the Gentiles a people for his name. Uh, this word intervened, if you underline or highlight, this is a pretty important one. Episkeptome. Episkeptome means to carefully select. Now I want you to listen to what was just written in the text. It said God carefully selected some Gentiles. It didn't say God carefully selected all Gentiles. It said God carefully selected some Gentile. But when we interpret Scripture, we interpret Scripture based on what? Other Scripture. What's the Bible tell us about God's selection process? Based on His foreknowledge. So what He knew beforehand. Well, what did He know beforehand? What He knew beforehand was the soul, the soil. Jesus taught, remember Jesus said, hey, we're going to scatter the seed and it's going to fall on certain soils. Well, those soils that were going to be fertile, guess what? Those were the ones carefully selected to hear the gospel. At nine years old, I was carefully selected to hear the gospel at Hurricane Baptist Church. Why? Because there was going to become a time when, when I let go of the back door and walked out on God as opposed to what I did do was turn around and go towards God. So God knew the soil and the soul that was involved, and so he carefully selected. So here's what I want you to understand. The Gentiles that heard the gospel from Paul and Barnabas before they were ever born, God knew they were going to hear it. Because he was going to send those two dudes to where they were because he knew there was going to be people there who accepted the gospel. And so he carefully selected these individuals that were going to be saved. 
And the words of the prophets agree with this. Uh, if you're a note taker, these, these are the passages that we're about to read. This is Amos 9, 11, and 12. And Isaiah 45, 21, starting in verse 16. After these things, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. I will rebuild its ruins and set it up again so the rest of humanity may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name declares the Lord who makes these things known from long ago. Hey, when you think about Old Testament covenant, how did they view Gentiles? They were enemies. They were outside the covenant. They would have never been loved by a Jewish person. Yet, notice what was stated in Isaiah. These individuals, these Gentiles who will be called by my name. So he already knew back in the old covenant, there's going to be Gentiles saved in the new covenant. Why? Because he knew who they were already. God knows all things beforehand, so he knew me before I was born. And so he knew there was going to be this Gentile kid in Hurricane, Mississippi, a long way from Jerusalem, nobody nobody having any idea that what Isaiah was prophesying was going to happen to me at nine years old. There's going to be Gentiles, like this kid Justin, that's going to hear the gospel and be saved because I'm rebuilding David's tent. Y'all, I'm not Jewish. But the Bible says this new covenant people by faith is the new people of God. And we are, again, being grafted in as part of the new or the real Israel. Therefore, in my judgment, this is James still speaking, we should not cause difficulties for those among the Gentiles who turn to God. All right, so, so this is a little teaching lesson if you want to make you a little note here. Don't get in the way of what God is doing. This is virtually what James just said. And Luke, inspired by the Holy Spirit, said, I need to write this down. This is very important. So, so here's what James said. We're not going to cause difficulties for them, meaning I'm not going to require a grown man who's converted to Christianity by the gift of faith given by the Holy Spirit to be circumcised and act like a Jew. I, I'm not going to ask them to do that. I'm not going to get in the way or be a hindrance to what God is doing. So, so we need to guard very carefully being a hindrance to what God is doing. So when you hear about a great work of the Lord, your first response shouldn't be skeptical. It might be guarded because we always need to be on the lookout discerning spirits. But at the same time, we don't need to attack or be skeptical or try to get in the way of. If God's doing a great thing, who, who puts us in a position to refute what God is choosing to do? If God's choosing to do a work in His own way, that is God's choice. And so what we need to do is be very guarded in how we approach things. Here's what I have learned. I have watched many things of which I was a little guarded and then became skeptical, and I've watched many of those fail. If it is not of the Lord, it will not be sustained. Eventually they will confess or be caught or whatever it may be. And so here's what James is saying. Who are we to create difficulties for what God may be accomplishing. So our job is to look to see what God is up to and then try to come alongside that. But instead, we should write to them to abstain. The word abstain is apeho uh, in Greek. That may not mean a whole lot to you. It means keep a distance from. So, so when you hear somebody say abstinence is the best plan, all abstain means is to keep a distance from. And, and so what he is saying is this. Okay, so we're not going to create a difficulty for them by having them convert to Judaism first, because that's not in the Scriptures. However, we are going to ask them to abstain from certain things. And I'm going to explain to you where their list came from, because you read this and you go, now, this is kind of random. It's really not random for their context. Remember, context, context, context. What is the context James is speaking from? We're going to ask them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from eating anything that has been strangled, 
and from blood. In case you don't know, everything he just described comes from pagan temple worship practice. Everything he just described comes from pagan temple worship practices. Uh, I, I put a couple things up here. In case you don't know, this is the god Molech. That was one of the ones that the, the Jerusalem people would have been very familiar with. And this is an altar that, if you come down below the picture of Molech, that is one of the altars in which they used to sacrifice infants upon. And so what he's saying is this, okay, so I don't want you to worship anything that's an idol. So, so you're not allowed as a Christ follower, not going to make you to convert to Judaism, but you can't follow any other gods. Well, where do we find that? Y'all, this is what we call moral law. We find it in the Decalogue, the thing that we call the what? The Ten Commandments. You will have no other God before me. So all James is actually quoting is moral law. Then, then he says, flee from sexual immorality. In case you don't know, part of the worship that would take place in these pagan temples were these very lewd um, sexual parties. That was part of it. In fact, they kept what we, what we would have called temple prostitutes. They, they even found them in Corinth when Paul was planting churches there. And so when you would go and worship these false gods, not only would you offer animals and sometimes infants, babies, to appease this god, there was this very lewd behavior that would take place. So he didn't pick just sexual immorality out of the blue. This was directly related to the temple worship that he is telling them not to take part in. So, so don't have any other god. Well, y'all, here's the thing. I, I go through downtown Forsyth all the time. Did you know there is no temple to Molech anywhere in Forsyth? There is not one. I've looked. I've looked and looked. There, there is just not one anywhere or to Baal or anything else. But you know what James would say in our culture because his list would be different? He would say, hey, don't bow down to the God of money. Don't bow down to the, the God of cultural pressure or tolerance. He, he would have a little different list if James were speaking in our culture because he's speaking of what was causing great difficulty for them. Notice the last one there had to do with blood. Remember, the blood in the Levitical laws, you had to drain the blood because God said the lifeblood belongs to me. And you're not to drink it, you're not to ingest it, you're not to use it in, in a strange way. They would take blood and pour it on each other in some of these temple practices, virtually claiming themselves to be God. And, and so what James is refuting here is what you and I would call temple worship, idol temple worship of this Old Testament covenant period, now transitioning into the New Covenant. For since ancient times, Moses has had those who proclaim him in every city and every Sabbath day. He is read aloud in the synagogues. Okay, so, so if you wonder why we gather together every week, it's because it's a biblical tradition that goes all the way back to the Old Covenant. What does it say about Moses? He would have the people gather in the synagogue each week, and what would they do? They would read aloud the Scriptures. Guess what we're doing right now? We're not gathering in the synagogue, but we're gathering in the congregational gathering, the ecclesia, the church has gathered, and we're reading the very words of God. And so this is one of those traditions that, that I'm going to challenge you for 2020 to make sure that you hold on to. There are certain traditions that aren't necessarily biblical. They're not bad. They're just traditions that man has created. Us meeting on Sunday, however, that is not something simply man has created. That's a biblical tradition where we get together and read aloud the Scriptures and study the Scriptures. And so understand, 2020 needs to be defined by biblical tradition and you keeping those. Then the apostles and the elders with the whole church to decided to select men who were among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, both leading men among the brothers, and they wrote. Now I'm not going to read you the letter because what they write is what James just said. 
hey, you don't have to do these things. Salvation is free. However, here's some behaviors we want you to avoid. These are things we want you to dodge. And and so I'm not going to read all that to you. Here's what I'm going to do. Skip down to verse 28, however, because I want you to see James understood that this wasn't simply his opinion. James was clarifying that this was God's opinion. Look at verse 28. For it was the Holy Spirit's decision and ours. All right, so James is saying, yeah, I'm speaking, but here's who I'm guided by. Because I'm in prayer, because the church is in agreement, because we we are signing on to this together, here's what they are saying we're going to do. We're not placing further burdens on you beyond these requirements, and the requirements they give to them we just read. So here's what you can do. Skip down to verse 30 now. So they were sent off, so, so Paul and Barnabas, and now their two new friends, are going with them back to the church in Antioch. Remember, that's about a 300-mile journey. So this is not like an overnight thing. So you think your mail is slow? It's real slow here. They're, they're trying to take this letter, and they're going to try to travel 300 miles to go read this letter to the church in Antioch. It's going to take a moment or two for them to get there. And after gathering the assembly, so again, the ecclesia, the whole local church of Antioch gathered, they delivered the letter. When they read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. Uh, here's the thing. Encur- here's why they were encouraged. What were they waiting to hear? Now, now, keep in mind, this is 300 miles. They sent Paul and Barnabas 300 miles that way. They've waited several days. Now it's taken a long time for them to come back 300 miles. Here's what they were waiting for. Do we have to be circumcised? Do we have to convert to Judaism? Do we have to keep all the dietary restrictions? Do we have to keep all the cleanliness restrictions? So so they're waiting to find out, do we have to convert to Judaism even though we already feel like we're Christ followers? Do, do Do we have to do that? Is that a part of what's required for us? So they're waiting. They're still waiting for this news. When they read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement, meaning this, they didn't have to convert to Judaism first. They were encouraged by the fact no further restriction was placed on them. We're going to talk about another reason they were excited. Both Judas and Silas, who were also prophets themselves, uh, you do understand that's not meaning like Old Testament prophets. It doesn't mean that they're writing Scripture. They're prophets in that they can foretell the truth. And so they understand the biblical teachings of Jesus. Even though the Bible didn't exist, they understood the teachings of Jesus. So these men are kind of almost like traveling evangelists at this point. They're kind of like Paul and Barnabas. They're about to share. So they're going to preach. They're the guest speakers. They encouraged the brothers and sisters and strengthened them with a long message. And y'all think I've talked for a long time. Long in the New Testament means long. And so y'all would get out very easy. After spending some time there, they were sent back in peace. The word, you know what peace means? People, somebody asked me, you know, I, I just, I want to feel peace again. And I asked that person, it, it was a male, I said, what does it mean? What, what, what do you mean? I just want to feel peaceful. I'm like, what do you mean? Tell me what you mean. The word peace, irene in Greek, means absence from fear or worry. If you've ever wondered what peace is, Biblical peace, the peace that transcends all understanding, the peace that Jesus himself gives us due to obedience means the absence from fear, the absence of fear and worry. So so I'm free from worry. I'm free from fear. So here's the thing. If you're entering 2020 and your life is really defined by this worry and this anxiousness and this fear, if that's kind of defining you, you're not experiencing the peace of Jesus. So there's something there we need to address. Because believe it or not, this peace that transcends all understanding is given to every Christ follower. It's not selective. It's for us all. And so they sent them off, meaning this, hey, we're on good terms. 
you guys came and read the letter, and we're going to send you off without fear, without anxiousness. We're in good standing with the church back in Jerusalem. But Paul and Barnabas, along with many others, remained in Antioch, teaching and proclaiming the word of the Lord. Church, let me, let me tell you why. Here, here's the thing I, I don't want you to miss. Here's why they were encouraged. Not, not only did they not have to convert to Judaism, but the things that they read in that letter, they knew that set them apart from everybody else around them. They're in Antioch. There's all type of pagan temple worship taking place in Antioch. And as they read that list, they're going, no, look, look, y'all, this is freeing. This salvation is free. It is all about grace, unmerited favor. However, if I have received this salvation, it's going to make me different. I'm not going to do what everybody else does around me. In fact, what they understood, church, was this. It made them Jesus different. Take a look at this. Y'all didn't know Jesus wore red Chuck Taylor Converse tennis shoes, did you? Well, he probably didn't. Chuck Taylor Converse didn't exist back in those days. But here's the deal. The whole point of that is this. Was Jesus different from everybody else seated at the table with him? Yes. Yes. Not different in such a way that drew attention to himself wrongfully because Jesus wasn't about promoting Jesus. Jesus was all about salvation. What Jesus was about was the Word and the teaching that came after. That's why when people approached Him and said, Oh, good Master, He said, Whoa, time out, there is none good. He included Himself in that. Now keep in mind, Jesus is being very humble. There He was, in fact, good. But He never wanted to receive the accolades. No, send them away. Send them away. I, I need time to step away. Jesus was different in a biblical way. And, and so here's our challenge. And this is what James was challenging the church in Antioch to do. I want you to dare to be different. In 2020, I want you to dare to be different and more different than any person in your circle. I want you to be more like Jesus in 2020 than any person in your circle. Now, I want to tell you, if you're going to do that, there's some things I want you to consider. Number one, you need to be open to how God is working. Meaning this, God may have something for you to do within your family within your workplace, within your church you've never done before, and maybe you don't feel like you're qualified, skilled, or comfortable in doing. But, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to start praying this today. Lord, what is it in 2020 I can do that I've never done before? How is it my life can be of service to you in a way that it's never been of service before? Maybe it's simply, maybe it's simply loving on the person that you work next to in the cubicle day after day after day after day. And maybe it's you getting out of your comfort zone a little bit and maybe even bringing Scripture into the conversation. Did you know there are Christ followers who work around lost people all the time and Jesus nor Scripture ever, ever come into their conversations? And listen, I get it. I've worked in those worlds. Law enforcement's one of the toughest worlds to kind of work Jesus into a conversation. But you know what was kind of funny? Because I did some things differently than many of the men and ladies that I worked with, especially my, my off-duty practices weren't quite like some of theirs. It was amazing how many times God had somebody out of that group approach me with a spiritual question. Just because I was a little different. And you're like, yeah, we've known for a long time you're a little bit different. Yeah, but, but I mean, in this sense, in a good way. And, and so I want you to start praying. Lord, 
What is it I can do differently? How is it I can serve my family differently in 2020 than I've done all year? And, and I mean in a spiritual sense. Maybe, maybe you're going to be more determined and, and more implicit maybe about your family praying together on a regular basis. See, see, in my family, we have enjoyed the last couple of days. School's still out. And, and for the last three days, we've actually had a meal together, all five of us around the table. My oldest is in college, so I don't see her during the school year as much. And, and my, my next to oldest works a ton. And, and so for the last three or four days, it's been great. We've been able to just, just have grace around the table again. Maybe we need to be more intentional. Forcing those things in a good way to happen. Number two, if you're going to dare to be different, make sure you're not a hindrance to what God is doing. Meaning this, in your own life as well. Not only are you guarded about what God may be doing outside your world, and man, is that real? Is that not real? But maybe inside your own world. Not be a hindrance to what maybe God is calling you to do. Maybe, maybe He's calling you to step up and, and try to form a small group Bible study. Maybe he's calling you to do what Richard said. Remember what Richard started with? Hey, we invite people to come and be a part of our worship and praise team. We, we would love to have more instruments, more voices, more people participate on a Sunday morning leading in corporate worship. Maybe you've been gifted and, and the Lord has given you some opportunity and brought renewed emphasis to that and passion to you. And you're sitting there thinking, man, I don't know about rehearsal times and getting ready all week and having to listen to music. And Did you hear what we just said in number two? Don't be a hindrance to what God is doing. I don't know what he's doing. It may not involve music for you at all. My music happens in the shower with lots of fans and noise on, so even the cats don't squeal. You know, it's just, that's my time. But, but here's the deal. Don't be a hindrance to what God is doing. Number three, always follow the moral law. Remember what James wrote down? Yes, there is salvation that is free by grace and grace alone, yet there are behaviors that need to follow. You think it's important that God with His own finger carved out in stone the Ten Commandments. You think that that's got some importance. If there's anything that should define us as Christ's followers, it should be what we call the moral law. That's what we call the Ten Commandments. That's the moral law. Remember, that existed 400 years before all that Levitical law took place. Moral law was in place first. And so, do understand, always follow the moral law. No God's before the God Creator. None before Jesus. Number four, maintain our biblical traditions. Is it important that you attend worship on Sunday? Yes. Are you in sin if you miss a Sunday? No. However, are you in sin if you make it a habit of missing Sunday? Yes. Hebrews 10.25. Do not make it a habit to miss or miss out on the gathering together for the purpose of fellowship. That's talking about a corporate worship setting. So are you in sin if you miss a Sunday? No. Are you in sin if you make it a habit of not attending church? Yes. Because Jesus saved you to be a part of a body. And Paul said this, inspired by the Holy Spirit, all of those parts of the body have a job. And for you to do your job, what do you need to do? Show up. If you don't show up at your workplace, what happens? They fire you. You quit coming here. I'm kicking you out. No, I'm just kidding. It's a joke. But what I'm saying is this. If we're serious about it, if we're serious about our journey in 2020, we're going to follow the biblical traditions. Corporate worship, that's a biblical tradition. The study of the Word individually. 
What did Jesus say to the Pharisees over and over? Haven't you read? Haven't you read? It was said. Jesus was referring back to Scripture, so things that you need to focus on in 2020. Participation in corporate worship. Service within your local body. Service in your community. The intake of Scripture. Fellowship with other believers. In fact, if you look at this back wall when you start to walk out, that's facing you you will see the functions of the New Testament church. Those are what we call biblical traditions. These are things that we do. And they're all found in Scripture. And then number five, we need to make sure we offer support to those doing the Lord's work. Now that may be in your own family. That may be within your local church. It may be outside of your church. You know, GIC is one of the biggest things we do in relationship to offering support to those who are doing the Lord's work. But but y'all, here's the deal. There may be somebody, there may be somebody that you work with every day that is great about loving on people and telling people the message of Jesus. Offer them, offer them encouragement. Offer them some type of support. Uh, just this morning, I had a pastor text me, and he was like, and you'd have to know what our relationship is. He's a local pastor at one of our First Baptist churches as well. And he said, preach it up, dog. I know for y'all, it probably doesn't mean a whole lot. That is his way of telling me, hey, dude, show up and do your job. You know, preach it up. And I, I told him the same thing. You preach it up, dog. And his response was, no, so-and-so's preaching today. I'm on the greeting team. And I'm like, okay. I'm going to figure out how I can start doing that. You know, um, I have Steve preach every week. And so I'll just greet folks. But, but again, this is what we do. We offer encouragement. It, it's an encouragement to me when another pastor on a Sunday morning who, who doesn't go to this church or have any involvement here just texts me out of the blue and says, hey, go get them. You know, carry the word today. Do what you're supposed to do. Let's, let's, let's be prepared. Let's make an impact today. Y'all, it'll mean something to somebody for you to text out of the blue, hey, praying for you today. I, I've been getting those. It's great to receive those encouraging messages. So be sure that you're offering that support to those that you know are doing the Lord's work. So, so here's the thing. I'm not going to have you stand up or anything until we get ready to pray. But if you're willing this morning to make a commitment before the Lord just to be different. I'm going to be more different in 2020 than what I was in 2019. I want you to use this prayer moment we're going to have in just a minute, and I want you to offer that commitment to the Lord. I want you to say, you know, Lord, here's the deal. I do this every year, but here I am, the first Sunday that we're corporately worshiping together in January, and I want 2020 to be different for me spiritually than what 2019 was. Maybe it's a sin issue that you want to to truly overcome. You've been given that victory by Jesus, but maybe you haven't been choosing to move that out of your life. Maybe it's a health issue that you've been really fretful about and very worried about, and you want to release that, and you want to experience and live in the peace of Christ. Maybe it's a service opportunity, a Bible study. We talked about this. Maybe it's a family tradition you want to begin. Maybe it's more contact with your family. I've got to do a better job in 2020 of keeping up with my oldest, who's at CFO. Yeah, I, I'm really good about trying to get them in a place where I know they're going to be grounded and receive Christian worldview, but I have to make sure as dad, I'm still staying on top of stuff, right? Until she's married and gone, and then, then 20 years after that, I'm still going to be on top of stuff. That's just the way it works. But I need to do better in 2020 of staying in contact and encouraging even mine that's out of the home in her spiritual journey. And so, so maybe it's that commitment that you make. So whatever it is, Let's just use this time, but, but I want to address one other group real quickly. Maybe you're here this morning and you're like, Justin, I can't make a, a commitment for 2020 to be different for Christ because I've never been different for Christ. 
But here's what I know. God sent me here for this moment to hear this message, and I want 2020 to be different. What do I do about that? Well, I'm glad you asked me because I've got an answer for you. Just a minute, we're all going to stand up and we're going to pray. And while we're praying, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you want your 2020 to be different for Jesus, for the very first time, I want you to walk straight over here to these doors that I'm pointing to to the left. You'll see exit. And the reason it says exit is because there are going to be folks there to meet you and they're going to walk you right out those doors into a more private setting. And they're going to sit down with you with a biblical piece of paper. It's a document that has Scripture and it's going to line out for you what it means to be a Christ follower. Just the same thing that James did to those Gentile believers. Here's what it means to be a Christ follower. And if you're willing to make that commitment today, there's people willing to pray with you as you make that commitment to the Lord.